0: We as christians we love our christian celebrities don't we i mean used to be like those young authors who would write books and we'd be so enamored and amazed by what they had done at such a young age today it might be our influencers on instagram and things like that and here's the thing i remember some of those young authors like joshua harris who wrote that amazing i kiss dating goodbye book right and everybody was into it everybody loved it and Yet today, we find that he's walked away from the faith altogether and and shoved it away. We find that there would be these NUMA videos. Everybody was watching by a man named Rob Bell, this pastor, and man, they were amazing and incredibly done, and what great messages, and he walked away from the faith. Or maybe it was some just humorous, amazing Instagram posts and, and podcasts by Jen Hatmaker, and she has basically walked away from the faith. And what we find then is that these people have turned back on that evangelical faith, turned back toward that which they had once proposed and and were a part of and have now sought to tear it apart, to argue against it, to put it down, to throw it away. And what we see is that there is a consistent attack now by many people who, who were once with us that went away from us. Now, It's interesting that they want to use their internet influence and these things, too, to to tear apart the, the faith today. But this isn't a new situation. This is something that's been going on for a long, long time. And in fact, while what we're going to see here is on a totally different level, a totally different scale, far more the governmental levels, Saul is going to be an illustration of this concept as we continue forward in this series around every corner because you know what we will find around every corner are these sauls are these people who are actually trying to push a view a push the people of got away and ultimately when it comes to somebody like saul and certain levels of government what we find around that corner is evil now, if you want to look more, let's check out 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to be looking uh, at this section here, at verses 6 uh, all the way through 19. And I want to encourage you to join with us. If you have a Bible, you can grab that, open it up right there in your house. Uh, press pause, go get it, come back. Maybe you've got an app open, you can go there. And what I want you to do is join with us as we examine this text together. And we're here again in 1 Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to be beginning in verse 22. 6 and it says now saul heard that david was discovered and the men who were with him saul was sitting at gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in hand and all his servants were standing about him now i'm going to pause here for a minute because this is important what you're seeing is a picture and it's a picture that would have been keen to any ancient israelite You see when you sit on a hill where they would view these hills they would view these high places as the locations of the intersections of earth and heaven of a place where you connect with god they that's why they put their altars on the top that's why you often find the temples on the top of mountains these kind of things and so here is king saul sitting under a tree some cases in in other translations it's before a a cultivated field like a garden and it's giving you this picture that he is sitting in the seat of God, that he is sitting under the tree of life. He is sitting in this seat on this hill. Around him is his counsel. And this is a picture well known to the Israelites. And we see this kind of like in the book of Job and in some other sections where God begins to speak and up comes this this angel or that angel and wants to give advice or thoughts like that. And what we see here is, is King Saul sitting in the seat of God sitting in the judgment seat of God with his um, advisors and his counselors surrounding him. This is important because what's going to happen is going to be completely anti-God. It's going to be completely backwards from anything that you would expect someone who is the king of Israel sitting in the seat of God would ever do. Interested? Well, let's keep going as we pick up. It says, And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all your commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son takes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. I love this. Take a pause real quick. Notice that. Saul has nothing to do with the Lord here, while sitting in the Lord's judgment seat. Instead, it's all about me, my son, covenant with the son. Just none of you. Sorry for me. discloses to me, my son, mine, mine, me, 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 me. It's he is so self-focused, so self-centered, so paranoid that David wants to kill him, and he's lying in wait. That what we have is this moment suddenly, where everything is twisted into. Saul, he's been selfish and fixated on himself. It's no wonder that he begins to berate his counsel around him, telling him, you guys are all against me. What's wrong with you people? And yet one person is going to step up. Then they answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him promises and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, "Here now, son of Ahitub." And he answered, "Here I am, my lord." And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you've given him bread and a sword of inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Now, interesting here, because what's happening is Saul is ready to accuse king or priest Ahimelech that he is with David to murder him. This isn't how the judicial court worked. Where's the second witness? Doeg's just come up and said it. He's being accused. This is guilty before being proven guilty. This is, uh, is full blown injustice. Doeg had made his accusations. He was there, but he doesn't talk about the fact that Ahimelech was nervous in the presence of David, was unsure about how this was going. No, Doeg erases certain pieces and certain ideas so that he could accuse. The high priest, this one priest of Yahweh, this one who represents the people of God, he could accuse him of being against the king. Suddenly we have this twist where the king is just furious with the people of God. Well, it continues, Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this much or little. And Ahimelech here makes his defense, right? He's telling him, I didn't do these things. I was with you. David's your dude. He's your son-in-law. He's the commander. He's your bodyguard. I'm your servant. What are you talking about? But Saul had not taken it. He has already made up his mind, and he's already so furious. He said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill these priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. Doeg right there becomes exactly the image of what he looks like. He's a picture of Satan. He's a picture of the persecutors. He's picture of the one who would kill us. It's no wonder his name would mean fearful one, the one to fear. Saul, sitting on his seat, shows himself as, a, as an, anti, an anti-Christ-like being who is sitting in the government seat to kill the people of God. And here and now, all these priests are being struck dead. They're being taken out because Doeg has no fear of God. In fact, what's interesting is while Saul will never say the name Yahweh, Doeg will say it, and all the priests will say it, but it's when he's enraged, he finally says, Now kill the priests of Yahweh. He is so against our God, so against the high God who rules over all things that he is ready to kill even his people. So it finishes up in Nob, this city of priests, he put to death by the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep. He put to the sword. But one of the sons of Himalek, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Don't be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. And here, David invites the people of God to him, away from this apostate king, away from the guy who was once part of Israel and now is acting completely opposite. And what we have here is this horrific situation in which those who were once faithful become unfaithful and they get so angry, so corrupt, so freaked out, they're ready to accuse the brethren, destroy the church, and be after the people of the living God. Now... When we find ourselves in these scenarios, be it persecution, injustice, when we find ourselves on the, on the hard end of people's anger and vitriol at Christianity, what do we do? How do we make it through these cases when around the corner is an evil in which our brothers and sisters around the world are being murdered for their faith? What do we do? How do we stay faithful to God? How do we stand in the face of these things? Well, first and foremost, we need to remind ourselves that God is in control, right? Remind yourself, God's got this, he's in control. You see, while Saul is sitting there, and he's being that king sitting on that throne and he's supposed to be representing the very God of the universe the God of Israel Yahweh himself when he is making these declarations it looks like he's completely against God and here's the funny thing even when evil people try to go against God they fall right into his playbook they fall right into what he wants them to do you can't escape God's plan you fall right into his hand. It's just absolutely ridiculous because, look, God had already, through the judge, Samuel, made the declaration that Ahimelech's family was doomed. It's back in chapter 2, if you want to look at it. Samuel's the one saying it's what God told Samuel to say when he was speaking to him in the night. And this is what he goes and tells Eli, the grandfather of Ahimelech. He says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house... And the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. You're going to be part of the temple forever, right? But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And it finishes this way. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be any old man in your house. Now that's the point. These men would not survive an old age, and none of them would, because God had determined that they would be judged, because God had determined that they had found their way into a situation where they had rejected the very Lord that they were supposed to be serving. And so God uses an apostate king to judge them. Even though Saul is apostate, even though Saul has denied God and is walking away from Yahweh in his rule, Saul himself, however, can't even help but continue to decree the right things that God was going to use. Evil will not be outside of his hand. God will use what the devil does. God will use evil for his plan and in his plan every single time. They won't get out of his plan. He will work it. it I mean... This is one of those things that we struggle with. Evil was one of those things that we really wrestled with. In fact, Brent was telling me in Starting Point, he's had many times where he's had conversations with people who are brand new to the faith. And they're wrestling over the problem of evil. They're like, I don't get it. God, why is there this evil? And he's like, you will stop. And he said, well, what kind of evil would you, if you were God, stop? What kind of evil would you end? And, and and they start getting down to it when they finally land, it's always about evil to children. And so Brent's like, you mean like innocent children? Yeah, yeah, innocents, those who are innocent, that's the kind of evil God should stop. And he pauses there for a second. He says, Hold on, do you know what you just did? And I'm like, no, he's like, You just eliminated the gospel. Because God allowed Judas and Israel and Rome to murder the only true innocent person that's ever existed. And when he allowed that to happen, he used it. It fell right into their hands. Judas' evil fell right into the plan of God so that he became our salvation, so that he bore our sins on the cross, so that our judgment that we intended on him became our salvation. Now that is beautiful and that is how God loves to do these things. When you see evil, never ever forget that God has got this. He's in control in the in John's biography of Jesus It says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And his point here is that we shouldn't be surprised by evil when it comes to us in persecution. We shouldn't be surprised by evil when it hits our family because Jesus already promised it. In fact, what he promises us is that it makes us identify with him, as we'll see. And this is the key that we want to remember. It's been told to us ahead of time. God's got this. It's not a surprise to him. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. And it shouldn't be a surprise as the spiritual powers of this world use people around us, use and influence and lie to humanity to bring about large movements that are always against the gospel. Because those spiritual entities don't want the judgment day to come. They're going to use the people around us and the powers around us first to slander like Doeg slandered. Man, all those slanders that you're a hater and you can't stand people who are LGBTQ or you're a hater and you can't stand people who are who are just sleeping around and you're a hater because you don't like people who aren't like you. You know, what a lie that's been propagated on our planet or the idea that Christianity that's just a white man's religion and you need to understand. I'm like, Jesus is Jewish. And these are the pieces that begin to poke out there as they begin to slander calling him stupid you you believe in fake science and what's your problem and look sometimes we've given into these tropes sometimes we've fallen into these things But the slander that's been created in many cases is exaggerated and bought in. Why? Because spiritual powers long to stop the gospel. And we're going to see it through people like us. There's evil in this world that's perpetuated upon the church. Second, maybe it's injustice. We see these kinds of injustices. I mean, Jack the Baker um, from Colorado, if you know about his story, he 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 would serve anybody. But when he was asked to do a wedding cake for a gay wedding, he was like, I can't do that. It is against my faith. I can't endorse that. These are art pieces because he just doesn't bake a cake. He produces an art piece out of his cake. He's a cake artist. They sued him. He went to the Supreme Court and he won. And when he came home and he finally began to reopen his business for the first time, intentionally a lawyer who was transgendered walked in and said, I want you to do a cake for my coming out. And he said, I can't do that according to my faith. And he sued him and he's back in court again. These kind of simple injustices, where they want to use the system to try to propagate a belief system upon a world. This is injustice. This is happening. It's not about a a true trial and all these pieces. And ultimately, he got justice through the system, but he lost so many times before. And the point is that we're going to find injustices. You're going to find that in this world. It's going to be there. It's going to be propagated against the church and against our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're also going to find that there is a, they're going to use the powerful government for the sake of murder. The spiritual powers will do these things. And the reason that we've seen this is because it's already happened. The USSR murdered plenty of Christians. Nazi Germany murdered Christians who wouldn't stand with them. We have people throughout this world that have been governmental agents who will indeed step up. China is dealing and killing Christians, prisoning them. North Korea eliminates them. Guys, Myanmar, we have an entire list of all kinds of nations that will not deal with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just won't have it. What do we do in that? We remember God's in charge. He already told us it was gonna happen. We don't have to fear evil. Yes will come. Stand up. Be strong. And remember this pure fact. Jesus wins. Jesus wins every single time. He will. And there will. he wins in this case because his way of winning is amazing. There's always a remnant. There's always a group that will remain. And in this case, that's true. So we pick up in verse 20, we find that this remnant his, is going to escape and run down to David, right? But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And so, and Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. So this one, Abathar, has escaped and he's made it to David. He is the remnant. He has survived the persecution. He has survived the death of the sons of God, the people of God here. And now, not everybody's going to be destroyed. Remember, God wants his gospel and his gospel is going to win. The enemy powers can do all that they want. The spiritual powers of this world can do everything they want to stop us, use every governmental apparatus, use everything they can, use Facebook, use social media, use family, use friends to halt you and stop you. But once again, God is going to keep a remnant alive. He's going to keep those who are faithful Not everyone's going to leave the faith. He's going to keep those who are true to him, and we're going to see them stand firm because God loves a remnant. Here's the thing. If you're in Christ right now and you're standing firm right now, you are part of that remnant. And that means we need to get busy with the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring it to everybody that we know in every way we possibly can because people need to hear that God has forgiven humanity, that he's dealing with our broken sins, our twistedness, our hatred, our anger, our just injustice, all this stuff has been dealt with at the cross to transform the heart so that societies and the world is transformed. This is where it begins in us being bold and stepping up. You're the remnant. Be the remnant. Preach that message and know that Jesus then is going to win. That remnant will be there. He tells us that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, from Jesus, that we who are alive at the end of the age, at the end of the persecution, all this stuff, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're, they're gonna be resurrected, we're gonna be transformed. We will be, some of us will be there at that end. I don't know if it's going to be our generation i'm not saying it is what i am saying is that there will always be a remnant the gospel will keep people there the whole time god will always have a remnant and that's important because here's the thing uh, brent loves 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 football uh, pastor brent here and what's funny about brent is that when he comes into the services here at the church and it is time for his Steelers to be playing man and i don't know why he likes the Steelers. <sighs> Poor guy, but anyway, just kidding. But the point is that he doesn't wanna hear about the game, never wants to hear about it because he wants to enjoy the game that he's recording at home. But if he hears about the score and he hears about the amazing plays, all the drama's gone, all the stress is gone. He just watches and he's like, yeah, I know what's gonna happen. Guys, if you know the end of the story, if you know Jesus is going to win, the stress is gone. The fear is gone. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, we don't like it. But Jesus wins. We don't have to fear that somehow you're going to get tricked into taking the mark of the beast or you're going to be tricked into apostatizing for Jesus. You're not going to be tricked. You have to choose to take that thing if it is even a physical thing. Because Jesus, according to those very same passages, has put a mark on you. There's the mark of Christ on us. And what that means for us is the opportunity that we can walk with him, and we will be faithful as a remnant to the end. That means you stand firm. You preach the gospel. You get it out there. You stand for Christ. Because evil is not a sign of our rejection either. If we're being persecuted, it's actually a sign that we are connected with Christ, that he identifies with us. And it's not going to remove him from us. They can't take Christ from us, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger or sword, nothing should separate you from the love of Christ. Not powers, or principalities, or or demons, or any other thing can keep you from that love of Christ. It is yours to have. And that means something important, that we need to be the people ready to deal with evil by knowing he wins, knowing he doesn't remove us, and then we can rest on God's character. We can rest on who he is. David, in reflection to this event, of this, of this wicked, wicked man killing the priests of God. Doeg doing this. He writes Psalm 52. And I'm not going to go through all the psalm. If you want to open it up and read it for yourself, go ahead and go there. But I'm going to look at a few verses because what you see is that David in the middle of his, in the middle of his psalm and reflection is going to lean upon the character of God. He begins with this. Verse 1, why do you boast, O evil? of evil, a mighty man. Why why do you boast of this evil? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. He's talking about Doeg. Why are you boasting that you killed the the people of God? It's nothing compared to the steadfast love of God. It endures all day. Your event will happen and end, but God will always love, always be there. He is faithful and this love is not just like, gushy, oh, I love you. This is self-sacrificing love for the sake of the covenant that he's given to you and me and Jesus. He has taken our sins on the cross. He has given us a new life, the resurrection in his resurrection. He has overcome the powers of evil in this world through his work. He sits on the throne of God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's over all the governments. He's over all of our lives. And he will be judged, and he will judge justly as we will see. And he loves us. He's in control. He's got it. And so his steadfast love comes to you and to me every day. If you're suffering in evil, if you're suffering in difficulty, remember that God is there to help you. See, God is there to love you. Just like a father walks with his kids through their bullying. He may not show up to stop it, but he's there to hold and hug and point to the evil and the wrong and give give aid and defense. And so he's there to tell the truth, to take us back to who he is. He loves us. He cares about us. He's with you in the evil that you suffer in this. And that makes us, again, courageous because God loves us. And who, if he can love us, you know, God's for us. Who can be against us, right? And so we see that David focuses in on his covenant love. And then he focuses in on his justice. He says, but God, verse 5, will break you down forever, Doeg. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. That's a scary thought. He will uproot you from the land of the living. He's going to take your life. You want to fear somebody, oh, fear, Doeg? Then you better fear the Lord, because he's the one who's going to snap you away. He's the one who's going to cast you into hell. This is justice. I mean, I think Doeg deserves it. However, all of us deserve at some level the sin and the evil that we've done justice comes from God, and justice is only going to come from God. We have earthly justices, we do our best, but our human justice is an imperfect justice. Always remember that. In the midst of all of our chaos in our country right now that's talking about injustice, remember there will not be a utopia that will ever be formed that will get justice perfectly correct. It will not happen, and if you do not believe in God, you're never going to have a hope that true justice will come, but the promise of the gospel and the promise of the Bible is that the true, just, and living God is going to take the evil that is done in this world and He's going to rightly judge it every single time. That is hopeful. That gives you confidence in the midst of evil that is being done to you that God is gonna deal with it, that God's gonna take care of it. You may not see it right away, you may not see it until the judgment day, but God is just and he will handle it. And that enables you and me to do something radical in this world and that is called forgive. To forgive is to stop being the judge sitting on the hill under the tree and trying to pretend that we are God and we know what's going on. No, we get to be the judge of no one. And therefore, we forgive. That doesn't mean we become doormats and we don't bring justice toward or Like, you don't, yes, we should have a justice system. God's given us that. I'm not saying it, but just don't put your full trust in an imperfect justice system. Trust that God will deal with all the true injustice because he is just. He will deal with these things. And so when we have this, we can actually stand firm before God we can stand firm in when evil is happening, knowing God is just, and that will lead us right into what we should be doing, which is worship. You see, David's writing a psalm of worship. He says, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. He's fresh. He's new. He's developing. He's strong. He's producing. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. So do I. I want to trust in the steadfast love that was shown on the cross where God loved us so much that he gave his only son that he would bear our sins, right? That's love. And I will thank you forever because you have done it. Done what? Brought about justice. You've done it. You have brought about justice. You will make it happen. I will wait for your name. It is good in the presence of of the godly. And he says, I can't wait till heaven. I can't wait till your justice is shown. I trust in your love. This is exciting. Oh God, you are awesome. And that leads to worship even in evil. It doesn't lead to anger and destruction. Christian, when you are being persecuted, when you are being hated upon, when you are being destroyed, it is the call for us then to rejoice, for so is Jesus. Around every corner is evil, around every corner is persecution, around every corner will be injustice, all forms of evil that will come our way. Around the corner will be people yelling and screaming at us. Now why would we believe in these things except for the fact that we have a God who loves us, we can stand firm in that. He's already one, he's in control of the evil, we don't have to fear, and therefore we can indeed stand firm. And we can worship. Though they throw us in a jail, we'll sing praises in the night. Though we may see the people of God murdered, we will find our song and trust ourselves in the God of the universe. I know this is true. It's been seen time and time again. One man in particular, his name was Andrew Brunson, a pastor in Turkey. Just went through this a couple years ago. Maybe you heard about the international ordeal. But the uh, president of Turkey saw saw him out as kind of a guy who he said was in the coup and in his attempt to show that he was strong against the church, took this evangelical pastor who'd been pastoring for years and locked him up with trumped-up charges. And so suddenly, Pastor Brunson spent months starved and struggling in a prison until he was finally declared guilty, right? But then released from Turkish custody because of the pressures from the United States on October 12th in 2018. We have a man, a a brother in Christ, who went through this very kind of action. And he wants to get back out there to preach the gospel. He so desperately wants those people to know Jesus because that's the point. Guys, we are a people who will face persecution. If Jesus did, you're guaranteed. We are going to walk around the corner and find evil. How do we respond to it? Remember, God's in control. Remember, Jesus is going to win. And we can trust God's character every step of the way through it. And I pray that we'll encourage you in this time as we come around every corner to something different.